Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series A Father's Farewell, a study of the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to his spiritual son Timothy, and through him to all the sons and daughters of God. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. Looking through the book of 2 Timothy right now, we're calling it A Father's Farewell. We've been moving through, and we're going to do our second teaching on 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 to 26, which we're calling Fighting the Good Fight for the Faith. Uh, We looked at it last week. We're going to look at it again this week. Let me begin by reading the text. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Let's hear together the word of the living God. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Back in 1976, there was a man named Joe Pistone who was an FBI agent, and he came to the FBI and said that he wanted to go undercover. And initially, he was going to be working uh, with undercover jewel uh, theft and things like that. He He claimed that he was a jeweler. But ultimately, that opened the door for him going into the mob. And he took the identity of a man named Donnie Brasco. You may have seen a movie which was about it uh, named Donnie uh, Brasco, which had Johnny Depp in it uh, many years ago and also uh, Al Pacino. And he was an undercover FBI agent in the mob for five years. And the uh, FBI, it sounds crazy to us now, but the FBI had never done this before. And that was because J. Edgar Hoover, who had started the FBI, said if they spend too much time with the mob, they're going to become like the mob. They're going to get swayed. It's too dangerous. I can't have them in that close a proximity to the mob. But Joe Pistone stayed successfully and did this so well that he was actually set up to be made, become a made man in the mafia in 1981. But to become made, he had to get his bones by killing somebody. So at that point, the FBI had to pull him out. They busted the people. And even when they first announced that Donnie Brasco was actually an undercover FBI agent, he had done it so successfully that the mafia guys didn't believe him. They thought that that was a setup by the FBI to get them to turn against their friend, Donnie Brasco. And it was only when he was actually in court and testified against him, they finally had to realize he really is an FBI agent. Now, I bring this up because in this, uh, the FBI had had the problem of how do you infiltrate the mob, how do you deal with the mob, and yet not have your own agents become infected? 
have to start doing illegal things, becoming like the very thing that they are struggling against. Well, Timothy is facing the same thing. He's called to deal with, um, with false teaching that's going on in Ephesus, but how do you confront the teaching? How do you deal with the people and in the process not become like them? We're going to see that that's a big concern that Paul has today. So today we're kind of asking ourselves, how do I fight the good fight for the faith without doing it in a corrupted manner? without becoming like some of the very errors that we are trying to correct. Now I want to remind us just real briefly, last week we had part one, and part one, if I could kind of sum it up, was that the best defense was a good offense. That the first thing that Paul wants Timothy to do, which he tells him there in verses 14 and 15, is to actually preach the truth and to live in line with the truth. So the most important protection against the infection of false teaching is the consistent positive teaching of the sound doctrine, which is the word that actually means the healthy doctrine as opposed to the sick teaching. It's the healthy doctrine of the Word of God. And then that sound teaching of the Word of God has to be joined with positive growth and display of godly character. I pointed out last week, Paul had already told Timothy this in 1 Timothy. And so in 1 Timothy 4, 16, we read, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save yourself and your hearers. And I mentioned last week that the Greek word for salvation, sozo, is also the same word that means to be healed. So he's saying, Timothy, look, there's sickness, there's infection, there's all these false teachers, but if you will watch your life, and you will watch your doctrine, then you can keep the church safe. You can keep the church healthy. That's the two kind of key positive parts. But it's not enough to just do the positive. Sometimes the danger of infection becomes so great we have to address it, and so we have to actually fight the good fight. How do we do that? Well, Paul says Timothy sometimes is going to have to fight against false teachings and their teachers. Sometimes, despite teaching the positive, sound, healthy doctrine of the Word of God, an infection can start to take hold inside of a person or a church. And so Paul says, Timothy, sometimes you do have to directly correct error. And this is actually why Timothy was in Ephesus. In 1 Timothy, Paul lets us know why uh, Timothy was there, and he says in 1 Timothy 1.3, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. So it begins now again with positive teaching, and he tells Timothy all over the place. I mentioned in After Hours on Tuesday that the idea of the teaching, the healthy doctrine is brought up, the, the word didascalia is brought up more in First and Second Timothy and Titus than the rest of the New Testament combined. It's a huge concern of Paul's. But he says sometimes you got to directly confront the error. Sometimes you've even got to do it in such a strong manner you have to command people stop teaching. You're no longer allowed to teach. You're no longer allowed to do this because what you're doing is spreading false ideas. So sometimes there's an error, there's an infection that is so serious it has to be directly refuted or else it could endanger the health of the whole body. Now, these particularly important egregious errors are known as heresy. And I want to talk for just a minute about the key distinctives of what it means to be a heresy because not every error rises to this level. There are a couple of key distinctives, and if you notice in verses 17 to 19, Paul tells us, and notice he's saying this is very, very serious. He identifies these teachings as gangrene. I mean, how serious is gangrene? Right? I mean, if you don't get it solved, we're talking amputation. This is not sniffles. This is not a cold. This is a serious infection. Notice he also refers to it in verse 18 as it destroys the faith. Of some. This is not that, you know, they, they're, they're spending some time on something that's a little bit silly. No, this will actually destroy 
their faith. It will put them outside the Christian faith. So notice when he's dealing with this, he identifies for us the two key areas that are involved in a heresy. Either one of these would make something a heresy. First, a heresy might deny essential doctrine. Notice there in verse 18, we're told specifically what the heretics in Ephesus, Hymenaeus and Philetus, were teaching, which is that the resurrection has already taken place. There is no resurrection of the body. They were basically saying, hey, the spiritual resurrection that happens when you become a Christian, that's all the resurrection there is. Your body will stay in the tomb. That's why the believers who've died, their bodies are still there. There is no resurrection resurrection, or it's already taken place. It is a spiritual resurrection. This is a denial of essential Christian doctrine. And so Paul says that's gangrene. To embrace it is to have your faith destroyed. It will kill you. Timothy, you got to amputate that off. Second area is that they sometimes deny essential biblical morality, the teaching about holiness. Notice Paul gives these inscriptions on the building. And the second one is, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Okay? So he's teaching about these false teachers, but it brings to his mind what they're teaching is that how you live doesn't really matter. They're changing what the law of God says regarding what is uh, acceptable for a believer to embrace. Now, Paul here directly names them, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And in fact, if you go back and look at 1 Timothy 1.20, we find out Paul had already spoken about Hymenaeus and Alexander. And he said, I've already handed them over to Satan so that they might be taught to not blaspheme. He said their teaching is such a serious error, it is actually blasphemy, and I've handed them over to Satan. Now, this teaching here in Ephesus, it appears, it is an early form of what became known as Gnosticism. The reason they're saying there's no resurrection of the body is because they believe that the body was inherently evil. And so the whole point was to get out of the body. And so there's no way God would want to raise your body because your body is inherently evil. Matter, the material universe, is inherently evil. This is a very well-known early heresy that the church had to fight, and there's elements of it here in Ephesus. And the problem with that is, if you think about that and you say that the body is inherently evil, that's not just a little doctrine. That means your understanding of creation is completely different because we read in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God made all these things. And what does he say every time he makes something? It was good. They say, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. That's material universe. So our doctrine of creation is different. How was Adam first formed? He was scooped out of the dirt and God breathed. We sang that song this morning, it's, it's your breath in my lungs. God literally breathed his breath in. And Adam is a living being composed of spirit and flesh. And the Gnostics said, no, he's not. The flesh is a problem. Well, then that changes. How are we redeemed from sin? Jesus took our flesh. No, he didn't. You see how this goes through every part of it. And then Jesus was raised from the dead. No, he wasn't. And I'm looking forward to when I'm raised from the dead. No, you're not. So see, Paul says, no, this isn't a minor thing. You have denied every aspect of what we believe. You have to change the whole faith. And so this is heresy. But there's another thing that comes out, which is the practical side of Gnosticism. Sometimes they said your body's evil, so punish it. And Paul deals with that as well and says that doesn't help actually stop sin. But very often what they did is they said, look, your body's evil, so it doesn't matter what you do. You want to go visit a temple prostitute? Go ahead. It doesn't matter because your body doesn't matter. And Paul here is saying, no, no, no. If you're going to name the name of the Lord, you must depart from wickedness. The Gnostics said, not really. It doesn't really matter. My spirit is pure. What I'm doing with my body does not matter matter. 
And so one could engage in sex outside of marriage or in homosexual sex. One could go get drunk. One could steal. We see all of this dealt with in Corinth where the Gnostics were as well. And Paul said you cannot live this way. Those who live that way will not inherit the kingdom of God. So their false doctrine led to false living. They weren't watching their, their doctrine or their life closely. Now, I want you to think this is ancient Ephesus, but this isn't just a history lesson. Modern heretics follow the same playbook. They always have. There is nothing new under the sun. Whenever I hear things, oftentimes I'm like, you know, and I'll even hear Christians promoting it. I'm like, you do know this was condemned by like three councils and it's been a disaster every time it's been tried in the church, but hey, let's try it again. That's just foolishness. The same ideas crop up again and again. And so there are people today, there are groups that want to deny essential Christian doctrine. They deny the Trinity. They deny the deity of Christ. They deny the literal, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they say things like, it doesn't matter. As long as I believe Jesus lives in my heart, Paul says it does matter. You're on the way to hell. You're not part of the faith if you deny those things. J. Gresham Machen, uh, a leading theologian in the early 1900s, said, please understand this. If you deny the virgin birth, if you deny the, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, if you deny the literal resurrection, you're not a different kind of Christian. You're not a Christian at all. That's not Christianity. That's a different faith. But the second thing that modern heresies do is they redefine sin so that I can go along with the culture. I can follow what the culture says because, yeah, I know we've always said that was sin, but we've now come to a new understanding and it's not actually sin. Well, the Scripture condemned it before. The Scripture still condemns it. And we don't get to redefine morality. But heretical groups want to do that. And please hear, it's heresy. That's what Paul's saying here. The, the Lord's inscription on the base, the foundation of the churches, everyone who names the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. They must do that. And so Timothy's being told you can't be silent when you confront these things. This is deadly infection, Timothy. You can't just go on and whistle as you go past it. You have to confront these errors so that, and notice what Paul says in, in verses 25 and 26. Notice how strong his language is. He says that what needs to happen is you're, you're laboring so that God would grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. This means they're not in truth, they're in error. And that they might come to their senses, which means they're not in their senses. They are utterly deceived. And they might escape the trap of the devil. They think they're free, they're actually enslaved, and they are being ensnared by Satan himself. And finally, he has taken them captive to do his will. They proclaim they're serving God, but they're not. They're actually serving Satan. I don't know how you could make it any stronger. I mean, that, that's a bad catalog Paul just laid out there. So he's saying, Timothy, you have to deal with this. Now, so we're going to have to do it, but the rest of the time this morning, I want us to look at, there are two dangers. I mentioned earlier, you know, why Hoover didn't want people going in and being undercover. If you're going to deal with the mob, there's dangers. If you're going to deal with this kind of infection, there are potential dangers for you and I. We have to deal with the infection, but there are dangers for us, and Paul wants to warn us about those. So number one, there is the danger of fighting serious error in an ungodly way. I understand the error. I'm correctly refuting the error, but the way I'm going about doing it, my attitudes, my words, and my actions are undermining what I'm trying to do because they're being done in an ungodly way. Notice how much Paul keeps bringing this up. In verses 24 to 26, which we were just looking at, but notice the other parts that I didn't highlight. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Um, he says that they have to be kind. They cannot be 
resentful. Even when people are opposing you and they're trying to shout and shut up, Timothy, we don't want to hear this. You can't start shouting back. You have to gently instruct them. And you do this in the hope that God's going to grant repentance to them. So notice he's saying, Timothy, you cannot become quarrelsome. You cannot become resentful or harsh or arrogant because all of that's unchristlike. And you can't fight to establish Christ-like doctrine and life by being unchristlike, It actually undermines what you're trying to say. So even in the fight for the faith, Timothy's got to be gentle, and he's always working. Notice that the hope there at the end is that God will grant them repentance. The goal is not winning an argument. The goal is winning the person. I was reading one of the commentators kind of mentioned about this. He used an analogy. It was actually regarding how to engage in arguments. And the guy mentioned, you know, look, if you're playing soccer, when you're playing it, you're supposed to play the ball, not the, the person. If you start playing the person, you're going to get a yellow card, okay, because it's illegal. You're engaging in illegal conduct because your goal is getting the ball, not knocking the other guy down. Okay, that's American football, not, okay? So you have to, same thing even in American football. You know, if you're a, a safety and the guy, and they're throwing, if they determine that you weren't playing the ball, you're going to get a flag thrown. And Paul's saying the same thing here. Timothy, the ball you're watching is winning this person to the faith, not winning the argument. It's winning the person to the faith. So you can't argue in such a way that you may win the argument. Everybody says, man, that was awesome. Brett, you cut them off at the knees. They'll never turn to Jesus now. But you, wow, that was funny. Okay? You hear how he's warning them on this. He's saying, Timothy, you can never lower yourself to the level of your opponents. You have to proclaim the gospel in a godly manner. You have to speak the truth in, see, it's so hard. We want to go one way or the other. I want to say I love, therefore I don't speak the truth. I don't confront the error. Paul says, no, you can't do that. Or I want to speak the truth, and I'll just chop them down. You can't do that either. you got to speak the truth in love. you got to confront the error in love. you got to do it in a way that it might open them up to the gospel. I'm going to expand on this a little bit more in After Hours on Tuesday. If you look, I'm going to actually be going through uh, John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, was asked by a young minister who wanted to write a pamphlet that was a broadside against another pastor that he thought was changing the faith up, and Newton wrote a pamphlet, uh, wrote a response that's now known as On Controversy, where he laid out, here's all the things you better consider before you if it were today, before you go on Facebook or Twitter and post this, you better consider all of this. It's really good. So I'll talk about that in after hours. So we have to recognize, even when I'm fighting, it doesn't matter if, if it's absolute heresy. That doesn't mean I can become unchristlike. It does not mean that I'm allowed to do that. And it does not matter how they are acting, I can't act that way. You're about to hear something amazing. I'm going to quote Friedrich Nietzsche. I almost never quote Nietzsche unless I'm saying it's stupid. But in this case, Nietzsche was correct. And Nietzsche said this, beware that when fighting monsters, you yourself do not become a monster. See, that's the danger. That's what Hoover was worried about. So in fighting monsters, I can't become a monster. And it's a temptation because I'm afraid I might lose the argument. That's okay. My job is to be faithful. I don't fight a monster. I don't fight the Nazis who took most of what Nietzsche said did it by becoming a Nazi. I don't out-Nazi the Nazis. That's not a way forward. It's not a way forward at all. We can't engage in that. Now, the second thing, and it can grow out of this, is there's a danger of useless quarrels, but what, what he's really getting at, I spoke about that a little bit last week, is we can come to love the fight. Over time, as I engage in controversy, as I engage error, I can come to the place that I just love the fight. And that is an unhealthy place. Notice in verses 14, 16, and 23, I'm putting them up, and we've got the kind of two halves. You know, 
I'm, you've got to warn the people, Timothy, against quarreling about words. You've got to avoid godless chatter. You don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. There, is, there are times that the hornet nest is there. Don't whack it. Don't get engaged. Don't get involved. If this happened, Twitter would shut down tomorrow for lack of use. Okay, but notice what Paul says. Here's a reason why. Because it's of no value and it ruins those who listen. To engage in it is actually to be ruined. I mentioned last week the Greek word is catastrophe. It's a catastrophe to you if you engage in this because you're changed in so doing. Avoid the godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. It actually changes my character. Just the engagement does. You know, the final thing, all it does is it's one quarrel and it produces another quarrel. If you watch today, all you have to do is open the newspaper, look on social media, you will see this, that there's just endless cycles of quarreling. There is a whole bunch of stuff. You could tell me this major event's going to happen tomorrow. I can tell you what's going to start happening. The war that's going to go back and forth. And that's all that's going to happen. And Paul says, you cannot do this. And in fact, notice in verse 14, he's to warn all believers. This isn't just for a leader. Everybody, don't get engaged in this. Don't participate in that. Don't uh, get lured into doing this. It's a waste of your time, and it's actually going to ruin you. Now, this is a huge concern in all the pastoral epistles because it's the way that the false teachers were working. They loved all these quarrels. So if you go back and you look in 1 Timothy 6, 4, he's speaking of people who said that they basically were prosperity gospel. Hey, if you, if you come to Jesus, you're gonna, all your sicknesses are going to get healed and you're going to be wealthy. It's, it's a, godliness is a means to financial gain. And Paul's telling Timothy, you got to shut that down. But he's doing it. He says about these people, they have an unhealthy uh, interest in controversies and quarrels about words. Same exact phrase as used in 2 Timothy. He furthermore goes on in 1 Timothy 6.20 and says, Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter. Same term that's used in 2 Timothy. And by the way, where it says, the opposing idea is what is falsely called knowledge the Greek word knowledge is gnosis, from which the Gnostics took their name. So they were already starting to call themselves and saying, we got the knowledge. And Paul says, all you really got is quarreling and godless chatter. And then finally, in Titus 3.9, he told Titus, so this is over in Crete, we can see how much of a problem this was, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they are unprofitable and useless. Every one of those words highlighted in yellow up there reoccur in 2 Timothy 2.14-26. So Paul's already been bringing this up to Timothy and Titus. This is one last time he's telling them, I've been so concerned about this. You can get lured into this. You can become the kind of guy. I've left you young guys there to do the fight for the faith, but you can get pulled in where you start fighting all the time. You become quarrelsome. You become uh, just looking for a fight. So there's a warning to you and I, we must not live, love the fight so much that we become quarrelsome people. We are endlessly looking for controversy. We are constantly in a state of anger over something. And you know what I'm talking There are people today, we wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is flip and look for something to be outraged about. Amen? I don't care what it is you're being outraged about. That is a warning sign. That is an infection that has gotten into your soul. Wake up in the morning and spend time with Jesus. Wake up in the morning. Hear his word. There's, there's all kinds of time for controversy. It's all, and you don't need to go looking for it. There are people who ceaselessly look for something to be outraged about. It doesn't matter what it is. They're just looking to be outraged. And so notice again in verses 23 and 24, he's telling them, don't have anything to do with this kind of stuff. I, I don't want you to be this kind of person, Timothy. Don't fight simply because you love the fight. Don't engage in an argument simply for arguments sake. I, I'm, you, you know, 
I, I tried Twitter for a while. And I stopped because that's what it is. It's, it doesn't matter if I walk outside and say it's cool today. No, it's not. You're an idiot. Have a good day. I don't want you to tell me that. Okay. If you've been on Twitter more than five minutes, you know it. This is what it is. It is endlessly griping about everything that everybody does. And it's this kind of attitude. Notice Paul says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. The Lord's servant cannot be a quarrelsome type person. He's got to be gentle, kind, not resentful. There is a danger that when we do this, we can. When you spend time looking at these things and you hear the news, they are constantly, they exist to keep you stirred up. That's what it's largely become. There are a bunch of people, there's actually a term for it. It's called the outrage economy. That's an actual term. I didn't make that up. It's an entire system that is there to stir you up. If you're not angry, we're not making money. And we just go along with them. Paul says, Timothy, don't do that. Don't get lured into that stuff. Ignore that. Keep on the straight line. Watch your life. Watch your doctrine. Focus mainly on the positive. When you got to go and you got to deal with this, don't sink down to their terms. He actually says this disqualifies one from leadership. The Lord's servant can't be this way. He talks about it in the character traits of being an elder. Timothy, you're looking for young men. They cannot be this kind of They may be able to speak well. They may do all kinds of things. If they're this kind of a person, if they are argumentative, if they are quarrelsome, pass right by. But see, it's the same thing for uh, us as well. This quarrelsome approach was the way of the false teachers in Ephesus and apparently also in Crete. And it is the way of many politicians and bloggers and media people today. And when you and I listen to some politician and he stirs it up and I say, yes, you've just participated. Don't do it. Ignore it. We don't need to be engaged. That stuff is there. It's not increasing anything that is helpful. Our political discourse, right now, I'm going to rant for just a second. Our political discourse has been demeaned to the level of two chimpanzees in a cage throwing feces at one another. There's no way to get involved in that and not get feces all over you. There's just no way. So you know what Paul says to Timothy? Just scoot on by. Okay? Because it's not actually accomplishing anything. So friends, please hear me. Beware of those who love the fight. Ask yourself, the people you read and listen to consistently, are they teaching me about that which is true and beautiful and good? Or are they constantly trying to make me angry or fearful? If you don't stand up, if you don't write this email, if you don't do this, you'll probably be locked up tomorrow. Somebody will kill you on the way home. No, they won't. No, they won't. Nobody's in danger of getting killed. But see, what's in danger is if they don't keep saying it that way, I stop clicking. And if I stop clicking, they stop making money. Which Paul in 1 Timothy 6 in this very passage said, the love of money is the root of Yes, click, 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 okay? Please hear on this. It's not what we want. Now, how do we apply the word? Number one, there, there's two parts, and we'll come to the Lord's table. Number one, do I see the importance of fighting heresy? Heresy has always been an issue. It has always been there. And there are those today who they haven't heard anything that they will take a stand against. And we cannot be that way. We have to work through this. To show you it's not just even Paul. In the book of Jude, Jude was writing to the church and said, I wanted to write to encourage you about the faith, but I had to write to tell you to stand for the faith. Notice in Jude 1, only chapter in Jude, verses 3 and 4. Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith 
that was once for all entrusted to the saints. This is a minor. The faith itself is under danger. Why? Certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. And notice what they do. They are godless men. And they change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Denying Jesus Christ is essential doctrine. And they're turning the grace of God into a license for immorality. It is your lifestyle, your ethics, your morals. It's the same two things that Paul brought up. Jude said, I got the same problem that I am dealing with now. And both of these are a major problem today. There are all kinds of groups out there that want to reach out to you and I. And there are all kinds of people who will change the truth of God's word. Well, has God really said? Yes, he has. He has. I, I tell y'all regularly, I started the day. If you didn't hear God any other time, every time I'm reading Bible verses, God is speaking. I labor hard to accurately teach you the Word of God. I do the best I can. You need to check out and determine if what I'm saying is true, but you do not check those verses on the screen out. They are true. And anybody tells you otherwise is a heretic. They are a heretic. There are groups that will deny the nature of God. We don't want to talk about God being holy anymore. They will deny the Trinity. They'll deny the full deity and humanity of Jesus. They'll deny salvation through Christ alone. Well, you know, I think those are basically good people. That all is heresy. But the second is also true. There are others who are turning the gospel into a license for immorality. They are denying clear biblical teachings. For example, and I bring this up because if you go down to verse 7, Jude goes back to Sodom and Gomorrah and says, these people who are denying and turning the grace of God into a license for sin forget that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for immoral behavior. They were sexually immoral, is what he actually says. We have a culture today that wants to tell us, but we understand things now they didn't before. You don't understand anything God didn't understand. Let me just go ahead and say that, okay? It's not a matter of what Paul understood or Peter understood. God understands. And so there are groups trying to get us to change. We simply can't. Okay? We just can't. Now, I was reading last night, you know, Christian groups that are being identified as hate groups. Okay? If that's what it takes, am I doing it? So, do I understand that these are not differences of opinion? The things I'm talking about here are heresy. There's all kinds of things, and we have to beware, okay? Somebody disagrees with me about whether I can drink or whether I can watch that specific movie. They're a heretic. No, that, that's not heresy. That's you having a difference of opinion, okay? But these things, essential Christian doctrine, it's heresy. Do I understand that? And am I willing to take a stand against these deadly false ideas no matter the cost, to my reputation, to my position, what, come what may. I will not say the emperor has clothes on when the emperor's buck naked. I, the whole culture may say, what beautiful clothing. Ah, he's naked. There's nothing there. And when you do, people will shout, and scream you down, and they'll tell you you're bigoted, and you're awful, and you're all these things. I'm just pointing out the dude's naked. That's all I'm saying. Okay? Are we willing to pay that price? Because there is a price to be paid. The only heresy in our culture today is that there is such a thing as heresy. The only truth is that there is no such thing as truth. And so if you and I are going to stand for the truth, there's going to be a lot of people get upset. Just accept it. Second question, and then we come to the Lord's table, am I giving in to the outrage economy? Now, I bring this up specifically 
Because we have to fight serious error, but we can't become quarrelsome people in the process. And there is in our day an entire industry. The thing that Paul saw the beginnings of in Ephesus that he's warning Timothy about has now been turned into a business. And we are applying all of our business skills to build an entire industry of this. So you don't have to go anywhere looking for this. If you are just in our culture, there are people trying to keep you outraged all the time. Am I giving in to that? Much of the internet is built on this entire premise. That's what it is. They are there. They they put false headlines in. They speak half-truths. They are constantly going to keep you and I going because they have discovered a reasoned, well-thought-out, balanced statement, nobody clicks. End of the world, everybody clicks. Even though it's not the end of the world. Just like it wasn't the last 42 times they told me it was the end of the world. So they write negative headlines. Negative sells, not positive. Outrage sells, not reason statement. And the more everybody's screaming outrage, what has to happen to my voice? I mean, you just gotta shout. Am I giving in to that? Do I participate in endless quarreling and bickering in the outrage economy? Still, at the end of the day, it's just monkeys throwing theses at one another. That's what it is. And we're not called to be that. We're not called to participate in that. And you're not going to win anyone to Jesus by that. It's not going to accomplish anything positive. Do I support it, even if it's just by a regular diet of consuming the post of those who constantly stoke outrage and fear? Because what they'll tell you is, even if you won't click like, even if you won't share, as long as you just keep coming back and reading it, that's what I really care about. That's what what I'm after. That's what will make me money. And this kind of going back to what we talked about last week, do I spend more time feeding on the word and prayer or following the latest political, cultural, social controversy? And that's a serious question. am, Am I more conversant because I am spending an hour in the word for every 10 minutes I spend on politics. Brothers and sisters, please please hear me. The majority of what's going to come up this week, everybody's going to have forgotten about a month from now. We just prayed this morning for the situation of the folks here from Afghanistan. When's the last time you heard about Afghanistan on the news? It's kind of a big deal what's going on over there. But see, it's not the cause of the moment. And I got news, however things end up in Ukraine, you know what's going to happen to Ukraine in a couple of months? It'll be buried because there'll be something else that's come up. Am, am I spending all my time on that or am I spending my time on the Word of God? Am I spending time in prayer? That is eternal. So uh, am I doing that? Because I want to tell you, if we engage in this age of outrage, it's not neutral. It makes you and I sick. It makes us sick to our soul. And if we're honest, and you've been through this, I know when I've engaged in it, and I come to the end of the day, and it's not like I go to lay my head down and say, wow, this is shalom in my soul. Right? We've all been... See, that's a sign. That's a warning sign. That's, that's God saying, wow, the white blood cell count is through the roof. You need to take a break. You need to, to back out of this. Now, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And as we do, you do not have to be a member of Bay Ridge Christian Church. You just have to be a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ. You have to understand that Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. If you believe that, you are welcome. And I'm going to read here briefly from 1 Corinthians 15 and Titus 2, both of which places Paul is actually writing to churches that are struggling with heresy in their midst. So hear the word of the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. 
if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And in Titus 2, Paul writes, This grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, who are eager to do what is good. If you are here and you believe the gospel, you trust the atoning death of Jesus for your sin, if you have hope because of his physical resurrection from the dead, and if you are actively forsaking what the scripture identifies as sin as you look forward to his return, I invite you to the table. If you're not a believer, then we're called to let it pass because this is a meal for those who are in covenant with our Lord Jesus Christ. So what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters, go ahead and open up the, the packet so you can have the bread. And we will pray and take the body of the Lord together. Lord, you are truth. But ever since the garden, we have turned aside from truth to follow and to speak lies. You are good and holy, but we have believed, spoken, and practiced evil. You and all your works are beautiful, but we have made the world an ugly place, full of error and sin and death. And to compound all of this, we have believed the lie that our problem is our material body or the society around us rather than the sin that dwells within. Lord, we repent of all of this today. In taking this bread, we confess that Jesus took our flesh and as the God-man, he worked redemption for us. Today we profess that our works cannot save us. But we trust in his works alone, knowing they are sufficient for our salvation now and forever. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord Jesus, you gave yourself for us, dying to pay for our sins, redeeming us from all wickedness so that we might be your people who would be eager to do what is good. And Lord, you did this while we were still sinners, while we were hostile to you and your kingdom. And it was this kindness that led us to repentance so that our sins were washed away and we were born again into the kingdom of God. Lord, in taking this cup, we give you thanks for your blood, which alone has purchased our salvation and has made us your people forever. Take and drink. Let's stand together.
And I'm going to cry out for the Holy Spirit to take everything we have heard and prayed, <laughs> sang, and experienced today to fasten it to our souls. Please join with me. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the Spirit of truth and that you have inspired the Word of God so that in it we have the truth. But Lord, we admit we are prone to follow the ways of the world, often embracing lies or trying to fight spiritual battles with worldly weapons, either thinking to win favor by compromising the truth or thinking we can bring about the peace of God by our anger, responding to an insult with harsh words rather than turning the other cheek. O oh, Holy Spirit, renew our minds to see through this foolishness. Holy Spirit, purify our hearts so that we would speak the truth with love and humility rather than pridefully thirsting for power. Fashion our character so that we are like Jesus who left an example for us by refusing to retaliate to those who hurled insults at him, but instead chose to entrust himself to the Father who judges justly. Lord, as we pray this, we know it is beyond our strength. So we cry out, revive your church, O Lord. Revive this church, O Lord. Revive my heart, O Lord. Send us forth to bless our city. And may the kindness of your blessings given through us lead many to repentance and faith. Lord, we ask that you would do all of this in the name of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And Holy Trinity, we ask this, that it would be done for your glory and the good of the people you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now receive the blessing of God. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. Go forth blessed and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.